This is OTB AM. That's a lot of nonsense because he's English. He's led Liverpool to a Champions League and he's led him to a Premiership title for the first time in 30 years. It's because he's English. That is outrageous to say that. Well, if you're looking for an headline, then there you go. That's it. It's <laughs> <laughs> all that nonsense. OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show, weekdays from 7.30 AM, only on OTB Sports Radio. Live 24-7 on the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. You ain't shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. Well, fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochford has never spoken to Jim McGuinness in his life. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five o'clock. You can text us on 531061 between Manchester City and West Ham United in the Premier League. We're streaming the conversation as well now. So as well as listening on News Talk, you can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope on Twitter at Off the Ball on YouTube on Facebook and on the OTB Sports app. Search OTB Sports in your app store now to download it if you have not already for iOS and Android. This is the Saturday panel. Now, 10 years ago this Tuesday, March the 2nd, Ireland beat England at their own game at the Cricket World Cup in Bangalore in India. Arguably the greatest day in Irish cricket. There have been others as the sport has put itself on the map in this country. We've beaten Pakistan and the West Indies at other World Cups. We've achieved test status now. We've played our first test in Malahide. There's a growing women's team. So to speak about that incredible day against England and Irish cricket in general, we're delighted to be joined by three men that have been involved either directly or indirectly every step of the way. So it's great to say hello to Kevin O'Brien, the Irish international all-rounder and man who scored that famous century against England. Ed Joyce, the former Ireland and England batsman and current coach of the Irish women's team. And William Porterfield, the opening batsman and long-standing captain of Ireland. Kevin, Ed and William, you're all very welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. You guys know each other so well. Um, and we're, we're just delighted to be able to talk to you today. Let's just, before we get to Bangalore and memories of that and talk about cricket and the state of the nation of the game in Ireland and the women's game as well over the next hour, lads. Let's just start, I suppose, before Bangalore and England in 2011. Um, William, for you, you've been playing county cricket, uh, Gloucestershire, Warwickshire. You had experience of five-day matches, one-day matches, giving you the foundation uh, to play against really good players and then to be a part of an Ireland team that was going places. Yeah, as you mentioned, county cricket was a big part of that for myself. I was with a few lads that were in the squad and in the team at that point. So, yeah, it took a lot from that. And it was that that summer coming into that, or sorry, that winter coming into that summer that had just moved from Gloucestershire to Warwickshire. So, um, yeah, it was just starting to kick off in terms of my county career then. Um, and obviously, moments like this and days like this obviously help, help kind of propel that from that side. But yeah, put us in a good place going into those games and for Irish cricket. And Kevin, uh, before Bangalore and your century, Ireland beat Pakistan at the 2007 Cricket World Cup, an earthquake really for the sport. That was in Jamaica. Did that kind of victory and that inspiration of that give you the foundation for what subsequently happened? Yeah, I think it had a, a great impact on 
cricket here in in Ireland. Um, not only the, the players involved, but also the fans and the people who supported us. Um, you know, kind of gave them a belief that we have a good side, and you know, if we play well on on a certain day, you know, we can beat the best teams in the world. And you know, a lot of the players who were involved in the 07 World Cup were also there in 2011. So I suppose that experience. Um, was a great uh, benefit for us in the 2011 World Cup. And for you, uh, Ed, it was a strange situation for you in 07 because you were playing for England at the time. Yeah, just agreeing with Kev there. I mean, 2007 was was the sort of watershed for, for the lads, you know, obviously watching from a different team, um, but watching from afar, you know, the, the, they played so well and obviously got through to the, to the next round. And, you know, it wasn't just beating Pakistan, it was also beating Bangladesh and, and you know, really putting Irish cricket on the map there. So I think... That was definitely the, the World Cup that started things off and 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 then obviously the subsequent 50 over World Cups in 11 and 15 sort of, you know, uh, loads more good wins and loads more good performances just kept us on the map there. And obviously the job now for, for the lads still playing, um, which includes the two lads on the call here as well, uh, is just to keep that going. You were at Middlesex for a long time, Ed. England, I suppose, was the obvious destination for you at the time. Ireland was not a test nation. And uh, you then got into the one day side with England. Yeah, same, same with William and a bit with Kev is obviously county cricket, massive part of Ireland's cricketing journey, obviously neighbours uh, across the water and, and, you know, great professional structure, get to play loads of different types of formats, four day cricket, T20, 50 over cricket, and you get to play loads against really good players. So, you know, it's a great development opportunity for us. And that's sort of gone now for the lads as well, which is, which is, which is really tricky. Um, we've also got to try and mirror that here now. So, so it's a different time. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, Ireland weren't a great team at the time uh, in, in sort of early 2000s. And, and obviously I felt the right call for me was to was to try and play for England. That's the same sort of thing that, that Owen Morgan did. And obviously Boyd Rankin did the same thing as well. So, um, but yeah, you do, you do miss out on, on a World Cup in 2007 and, and the lads have such a good time out there. I still talk about it and you feel like you missed out a bit, but obviously had some good times myself playing for England. But then then obviously very glad to come back and play in 2011 and be part of, you know, the, the next part of Ireland's cricket journey. So, um, you know, so got to experience from both sides, but, um, you know, now firmly in the Ireland camp and, and, and very happy to be the women's coach as well, which is which is really enjoyable. Absolutely. We'll get to that a little bit later on, uh, Ed. So the 2011, uh, you're, you're playing England, but you actually lost to Bangladesh before that at the World Cup. When you're going out to World Cup, you've got Phil Simmons there um, uh, coaching you there at the time, William. What was the kind of ask, the ambition going to the World Cup in 2011? What, what were your hopes? Was it to get out of the group? Uh, what were the conditions like? Uh, what was the psychology? Does the psychology uh, differ from playing, say, one day international cricket than it does to playing a test match? Yeah, obviously at that point, test status was still a little bit down the line, but going to that World Cup was very much was getting out of your group. I think it was two groups of seven, if I remember right, and, and going through the group was, was our main objective. Um, and we had probably high aspirations going into the first game against Bangladesh. And, um, we probably let ourselves down a little bit in that game from the position that we were in at one point. Um, but I think that's credit the way we've been and that kind of... Irish mentality we've had in a lot of World Cups to bounce back from that and get some of the results that we did from there was probably our biggest biggest thing from that disappointment in that game. But it definitely was to get out of the group and then come down to that last game against the West Indies. We were right in it, coming down to those last um, eight to ten overs uh, to potentially qualify through the group. Ed, I'm looking at the day against England, the 2nd of March 2011. 
327 for eight England got. They don't seem to have done too much wrong in their innings. Well, I remember John Mooney talking about this a lot, a bit, and and you know we finished uh, their batting innings. We bowled really, really well at the end. They could easily have got three fifty, three sixty. That might have been out of our our reach a little bit, and and you know the guys bowled really well at the end. Lots of slower balls, and and, and sort of got their middle order, lower order out for you know you know. I'd say it was probably par. Really, it was a really good pitch, and you know obviously they've got good bowling lineup, and we felt if we got a good start and. And got off going. We, we we batted really deep, sent down to nine and ten, and we felt we had a good chance of chasing those runs. Um, it basically went to the opposite of that. Really, we had a, we had a pretty average start, and then we were you know poor through the middle really. And it was just when Kev and Cusey got going that you know sort of turned things around from really a position that I think most of us thought the game was probably gone at that stage. And and Kev, Kev can probably fill you in on what he was thinking in a second, but. Um, we were about 110, 112 for five or something like that. And then obviously um, Kev got going properly. And as I said, he was really supported well by those middle lower order guys. It swings around about, William. Uh, you score really well against India the next day, but you went for a duck that day against England. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I thought you were going to go to Kevy there. Um, yeah, I got a, <laughs> managed to drag a lovely wide half volley on. So uh, yeah. Wasn't the, wasn't the ideal start, but it's one of those things. You feel in good touch going into the game, and you get a first baller. It's a pretty leveler of a game, cricket. So yeah, it was it was obviously disappointing, but I'll take first ballers all day long if we get to chase down the runs the way we did um, and take the victory. Uh, Kevin, one hundred and six for four. Ireland were uh, when they came to twenty two overs gone, and you came to the crease. What were you thinking at the time? Were you thinking I'm just going to have a go here? Um, yeah, pretty well. As long as Willow was there, um, you know, we I kind of thought, oh, if you just kind of rebuild a little bit. Um, obviously, Will's, you know, he was out, I think, the next over or something. Um, and then we were 111 for five. So when Cusey came in, it was, you know, I kind of just said to Cusey, let's just have a bit of fun. And, you know, if we get balled out in the next four or five overs, at least we're trying to have a bit of a crack. Um, you know, I'd rather lose a game trying to win it, you know, get balled out for 170, 180. Um, I'd rather that than tap it around for a couple of hours and, you know, kind of lose respectably and, you know, people pat you on the back and kind of say, oh, great effort, well tried. So, and, you know, Cusey was is a pretty laid back person like myself. So, like, he just kind of said, yeah, let's go for it. Um, and, you know, we chanced our arm. Um, obviously came off for four or five overs and then we took the power play, which I think was uh, unheard of at the time, taking it so early after 31 overs. Um, a lot of teams in the lead up to the tournament um, and also in the tournament itself kind of took that batting power play, you know, from over 40 onwards. And I think we, by, by us taking it as early as we did, you know, may have put pressure back on England and, and the England bowling attack. And, you know, once we got the momentum, we never really let it, let it slip again. Yeah, that was Alex Cusack uh, you're referring to there, uh, Kevin. And folks out there, remembering this game around the world, this Ireland-England Cricket World Cup game from 2011, you want to text in any questions to the lads, 53106, William Porterfield, Ed Joyce or Kevin O'Brien. Kevin, when you're getting in the zone, I remember speaking to Shane Larry when he won the, after he won the Open, and he just said that every hole he felt he, like he was going to get a birdie. Did you feel completely in the zone, that the ball was even bigger, and it was just you could see it miles off before you hit it every time? Um. I don't, I, I don't know if I really believe in the, in the zone, this kind of place that people say they're in when, when they're successful. I mean, obviously, I, I got a little bit of luck. There's no getting away from that, you know. Um, early on the innings, you know, edges went past fielders and, you know, a few balls looped over fielders and dropped short. And 
you know, England weren't on their on their A game. That's you know, no, you can't deny that as well. But um, yeah, you know, obviously I felt confident. You know, the last you know, the eighteen months leading into the tournament, I you know, I trained very well. Um, you know, I was very comfortable in in how I was batting. Um, game plan. So uh, and obviously I had the uh, support from uh, William there. Um, obviously I know him as Purdy more than, more so than William, but um, had the support of Purdy and Simo as the head coach. Um, you know to go out and kind of play my own game and express myself and you know try and take the bowlers on. So yeah, I was very confident and you know got a couple away early on off Swan um, and never really looked back. And you know QZ's you know QZ's innings goes unnoticed and you know I think it's a bit of a shame because it was such a perfect innings to play alongside mine. Um, you know. Very rarely was I off strike for a long period of time, and you know, QZ was was brilliant at rotating the strike. That was one of his main strengths, um, and it really came to fruition that day. You know, he scored like forty five or forty six. Um, there weren't weren't too many dot balls. Um, he rotated the strike to give me the chance to hit the boundaries, and you know, I think his innings, as I said, goes unnoticed, but it was it was very crucial. Kevin, thirteen fours, uh, six sixes, when you're smashing it all over the ground are you just having the biggest buzz ever are you really enjoying it or are you uh, a, a bundle of nerves given what's at stake um well i'm 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 more nervous when i'm watching other people bat um you know once i'm out in the middle i'm absolutely fine um you know i'm very calm and you know i know my game pretty well so yeah i was just having a bit of fun really you know i think you can, you can see that in the highlights you know you know having a bit of back chat with the England players and you know having a bit of banter with Matt Pryor behind the stumps and just playing with a smile on my face and that's you know the way I've always tried to play my cricket um whether whether I'm in good form or not so I just try and you know entertain the people watching and you know try and just play to my strengths as well when you were one out Kevin did you think we we were going to do it yeah massively you know I think as Ed mentioned earlier you know we had you know, Mooners coming in after QZ, um, you know, we had TJ then after that and, and, and George Dockrow was number 10 and, you know, George is a decent batter as well at number 10. So, um, you know, we had a lot of batting left, but the, the major thing for us was, and for myself and QZ was to try and get the runs as close as we could. Um, no disrespect to, to John or TJ or Dockers, um, you know, if we didn't want to leave them with too many runs to get, you know, th those guys are brilliant for coming in for little cameos of, you know, 15 or 20 off not many balls. Um, so the closer we got the scores, um, you know, the closer we could get the English score, you know, I was 100% confident we were going to win. Um, you know, I, I was very confident from about overs, from about the over, 35th over onwards when we needed about 100. I knew we'd win the game. Um, we just have to ask you, Ed, when you, when you were like thinking about what Kevin was doing on the pitch, why you still have a Christmas tree um, behind you there on the screen if anybody is watching here. Uh, Andrew Balberni has been tweeting about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, we decided to leave the door open so everyone could see that we uh, it sort of puts a smile on our face when we put the lights on every day because obviously lockdown so we decided myself and my wife decided uh, in January that we'd just leave it up until lockdown finished so uh, we didn't quite think it would be up this long or it's probably going to be up for another couple of months but uh, you must water it every day yeah. yeah it's, it's a very <laughs> impressive uh, real fake Christmas tree but um, now it puts a smile on our face and we've had people running by the house and walking by the house so they're you know, people we know and say it, it makes them smile as well. So it's it's uh, it's just something to keep uh, spirits up a little bit. But um, just just back on what Kev said there, I yeah. think he's doing a bit of a um, an injustice to himself in a little way because he because it was a huge, you know, incredibly skillful innings. I think he did exactly the right thing in taking it on. 
you know, when he did himself and Alex made a decision to obviously to take it on. And, and I remember an over where he hit Graham Swan for a couple of sixes, slog sweeps. And then, you know, there was huge skill involved in the next sort of eight to 10 overs from both of them, but especially from Kev. And then I think the most impressive thing was, you know, there was a, there became a bit of a calm watching from the sideline, you know, from, from everyone, well, not from everyone, a few people were still very nervous, uh, but I think the players sort of saw the way Kev and, and Alex were going and, and, it, and they sort of smashed a few sixes, but then there were some overs where it was, you know, the tempo came down, we only got four or five or six, but I think that showed two people in control. And I think that's, that's as important as anything else. You feel like the lads in the middle are in control. And then, and then what Kev obviously said there was, you know, we had John Mooney, Trent Johnson and George Dockerell. No one ever mentions Boyd, Frank, and obviously it never <laughs> but I think if we got down to Boyd, we were struggling a bit. Struggle. But, but uh, you know, if we had guys coming in afterwards, not only who had this, the ability to, to, to sort of kick on as well, but also had really good mentality, you know, John, very passionate guy to beat England, you know, and then you had Trent and George who were quite level-headed, you know, so... I, and Trent had obviously been there when when we finished the game. I say we when Ireland finished the game against Pakistan in two thousand and seven. So you feel like you're someone there who's who's been there at the end of a big game. So, you know, I think when as Kev said, when we got down to thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven overs gone, I was you certainly got to the point where you're like, I think we're going to win this game. You know, from a position where when myself and Wills were out and sitting in the changing room and fairly dejected because not because we didn't you know back the guys coming in after us but just you know it didn't matter who was batting then or who you had coming in you felt like getting 220 more runs off those overs wasn't you know the odds were stacked against you so you know just you know kev's a very laid-back guy but i think just to sort of reiterate that's one of the that's one of the top three innings i've ever seen no doubt you know certainly live anyway and uh you know very luckily that it happened on that day against england william did yeah, I was just going to say, just on that as well, when you talk about himself doing a little bit of an injustice, but it was whenever we took that power play, and at the time, I think Michael Yardy was well-renowned as one of the best power play bowlers, um, and the way Kevy went about him, and he took him down a couple overs, and I think that's when the mood changed in the England camp, and they've gone, oh, like, they're right in this, and he, I think he took Yardy for a few in those overs, um, and I think that pushed them back a bit, and really that's when that momentum properly changed, and um, he said, obviously, Swan's last couple overs hit him for a few, but... For me, when that power play was taken and how he dealt with Yardy, um, who was well-renowned at the time within the power play, was a, was a big moment in the game too. What were your emotions, William? You've captained Ireland 253 times. Uh, you must have been, when we were closing on victory, just in a, in a completely different space in your head, knowing what we were about to achieve. Yeah, I think it's always different when, as Kevy says, when you're out in the middle, you've got a different perspective on things and you are a lot calmer. When you can't actually have an influence on the game, that's when a lot more emotions run through. Um, and especially back at the top of the order, there's not a lot of times in a 50-over game you're going to be there at the end. So I suppose you're used to things being out of your control to a large degree. But I think it was the same as the lads. Whenever it got past that stage of 35 overs and started to count down, it was like, and then we didn't lose a wicket till after maybe the 40th over. Um, you're like, right, we're, they were our favourites. And that's probably when a little bit more pressure comes on. But... Uh, yeah, you can't be really nerve-wracking and you're just sitting there, nobody changing spots, nobody going to the toilet, nobody, all the superstitions of cricketers um, when you're not on the pitch. But uh, yeah, look, whenever we got to that stage of counting down the ball, 60, 50, 40 balls to go, I think we were well on top. I remember when uh, John Mooney, who got four wickets, uh, Kevin hit the winning run, it's 329 for seven, uh, the highest run chase in Cricket World Cup history. Ireland had achieved that against England and Bangalore to win. Uh, we were. I was uh, working for our sister station, Today FM, at the time, and we'd uh, 
Shave or Die campaign, uh, which was a very successful campaign for the Irish Cancer Society. And then I saw you with uh, your hair. It was like pink or purple. It was dyed. You'd, uh, you engaged in the campaign. Yeah, a few of us did. I think six or seven of us did. And I remember the day before the match, we went around to uh, a local barber's or hair salon. And um, we basically took it over for the whole day. They closed our shop. Um, it was myself, uh, Birdie there. Did I had a few green tints. I think Nobby had a little bit. Um, TJ shaved his head. Mooners shaved it. I think Boyd had a little bit of green. I was actually there as well. Juicy, you had a little I, bit, didn't you? Yeah. I asked for white hair and they gave me basically some little tints. It didn't look like they'd done anything. <laughs> actually looked quite stylish, to be honest. I was very happy with um, it. Well, yeah, it was obviously first uh, shit, shit, the shaver dive for Today FM. But um, I remember Barry Chambers, was was uh, he was leading it from, in the hair salon. And he was just clicking snaps left, right and centre. He was our media manager at the time. So he was he was he uh, his camera was working overtime. Did you all just go mad? Before the game or after? <laughs> yeah, with the hair, with the hair stuff. I, I actually sat in the room for a bit and didn't go down because I was like, can't turn up as captain with pink hair to toss like or like before the game. We got to keep some level of respectability, but for the cause as well. Like it was a great thing, and I think it obviously boosted it as well. Um, whenever we won the game and everyone was asking more questions about the the kind of out there hairstyles, and I think it helped the campaign and raise more money for charity. But yeah, we we definitely. Went a bit mad after the game as well because we had a few days before before the next one. We had a good day off, so uh, yeah, I think it was well deserved. Uh, Kevin and Ed, do you remember the aftermath, the immediate aftermath? Just from my end, one of the things that was interesting, I, I just went out of contact there, so I don't know if this was brought up, but one of the at the end of the game, you know, we shared actually. It's very unusual. We shared a sort of balcony with the England uh, support staff and and their players who weren't playing. So we were all in the same sort of area for that lead in. And, and one of the things that kept us calm as well was the fact that they were getting more and more agitated towards the end, you know, and, and you felt like they could see the game slipping away. And we, we, we sort of, we were favorites again. And I think just remembering the end of that game was, you know, everyone jumping up and down and uh, obviously hug, hugging the closest person to you. And, you know, the sort of dejection on the other side as well. So I think it was sort of both both things, um, and and it was yeah, it was a complete madness after the game. I actually don't remember much about it in the change room. I can't even remember getting back to the hotel, to be perfectly honest. But I remember a few things back in the hotel. There was a big party back there with with all the supporters who were who were around. So it was yeah, it was it was a good old night. But we uh, again, I can't remember that much about it. Joyce, is that because you uh, it's ten years ago, or because you may have had two or three cans in the change room after the match yeah there were definitely a few you know definitely a few cans had uh, and also remember <laughs> one of the interesting things back in the hotel again was some of the england lads fair play to them actually came down and 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 had a drink with us because they were obviously dejected and you know they they wouldn't have obviously wanted to lose any game but losing to ireland obviously was was definitely not on the cards for them and especially from the position they got on got into and and it was actually andrew strauss's birthday that day as well so it was it made it sort of so he came down and I remember he came down and got rounds that it was his birthday and everyone in the room and there was a couple of hundred people probably in there singing happy birthday Andrew Strauss after he's just been beaten in a, in a World Cup game but uh, he took it with good grace and actually had a, had, had a beer with everyone but yeah a great night was had um, and it's just a, the brilliant thing about Irish cricket tours and things like that is you tend to celebrate with all the fans as well who come along. Yes, yeah. it's, it's the real family atmosphere, which is which is great. Okay, we've got to take a break. Uh, Ed Joyce, uh, Kevin O'Brien, and William Porterfield on Ireland's win over England ten years ago and the state of the nation for Irish cricket. Lots more to talk about after two. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. 
Yeah, this is the Saturday panel on Off the Ball here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. We're back talking about Ireland's famous win at the Cricket World Cup uh, over England in 2011. It was on Tuesday. Uh, this coming Tuesday, 10 years ago, with uh, Kevin O'Brien, the Irish international all-rounder, the man who scored that famous 113 against England. Ed Joyce, the former Ireland and England batsman and the current coach of the Irish women's team, and William Porterfield, the captain that day and the opening batsman at 253 uh, times he's captained uh, Ireland. Uh, also speaking about the state of the game over the next half an hour. We're streaming the conversation live as well, so as well as listening on Newtalk, you can watch us on the Off The Ball social channels for Periscope on Twitter, at Off The Ball, YouTube, Facebook, and on the the OTB Sports app, 53106. If you want to get involved with a question for the lads about anything cricket related, uh, here's one of our uh, texters, Martian. It's one of those events you remember where you were and what you were doing. I was in a hotel bar surrounded by mad cheering Irishmen going crazy over cricket just to join, of course, it was England. And uh, Donald tweeting in, the victory over England spawned one of the most memorable Irish sporting headlines. Johnson, Mooney and O'Brien make toast of English. Kevin O'Brien, did it change your life in any way? Uh, you were catapulted into worldwide global stardom. Uh, yeah, it did. Um, you know, both on the field and off the field. Um, certainly on the field, it, it allowed me to, you know, probably have six or seven years of playing franchise cricket, um, you know, around the world and a couple of seasons in the Caribbean, a couple of years in New Zealand, uh, uh, one stint in the Bangladesh League and then, you know, five or six very good enjoyable years over in county cricket uh, playing 2020 and 50 over cricket there for for a few teams so yeah it, it, it changed changed my life massively um and then off the field you know just um, certainly you know with with the fans um you know both here in Ireland but overseas um kind of Southeast Asia it's you know I'm probably more famous over there than I am here in Ireland so yeah it, it was a it was a life-changing moment for me for sure. Were you aware of the reaction back home at the time, Kevin? Um, well, the next day we kind of we saw Barry Chambers and um, our manager at the time, Roy Torrens. Um, they kind of showed us some pictures on, of, of papers from back home, and it was it was it was unbelievable to see you know cricket on the front and back pages, and then you know having three or four pages of, of um, uh, articles about the match, and you know all of a sudden you know, articles about me and stuff. And it was weird seeing that, you know, and, and at the time, Ruth Ann, who's now my wife, was weird seeing, like, she, all of a sudden she was popping up in the newspaper and stuff. It was really, really weird. So um, I don't envy the Indian cricketers who, you know, who have that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, like, I don't know how they have any kind of, you know, normal life in inverted commas because um, there's absolutely no break from cricket over in India. It's It's crazy. Yeah, you played them next uh, in, after the England game. William, you scored, I think it was a 75 in the defeat England, India, Sashington, Dulker playing. They are absolutely fanatical about it over there. Yeah, they are. It's, it's crazy. And I think that's one of the big things you look back in your career is getting to play India, in India in the World Cup was pretty special. And um, I remember Mooners, John Mooney, he was a point, a cover point, and I was a point in the field in the innings. And I think Sewag hit the first ball of every group game for four that, that and the opposite did it against us that day and they went mental. But they were even louder the next ball because he got a single and that brought Tendulka on strike. And Tendulka clipped his first ball for four and that's the loudest of ever. I remember just talking to Mooners, just looking at each other and it was like, this. it was quite surreal. You just take that split second, a moment and look around and it was like, that's you get those little moments throughout different games and competitions where you just take a step back and go, yeah, this is a bit surreal. Um, but yeah, to play them there was phenomenal. 
um, and the atmosphere. You, you can't you can't have a conversation on the pitch. You can't hear each other. You have to scream when you scream. You're just screaming in someone's ears. So they can't hear you. So it's all ver- like uh, signals and things like that to actually communicate. Um, it's a it's a great experience. Uh, the captain's nightmare. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it can be. Anyway, uh, nobody so nobody understands me for once. I'm from the northwest, and uh, <laughs> and too, I'm not sure they listen to me all the time anyway. So, um, yeah, gives me a bit of an out as well, a bit of an excuse. Uh, Ed, Kevin referenced him there, uh, Roy Torrens. He very sadly passed away recently. Your former manager. Yeah, he did. Obviously, devastating for the community here. It's a you know cricketing community in Ireland's uh, is pretty small. Um, you know, you you tend to know uh, everyone regardless of whether, where they're from in the country. Roy is obviously from the, the northwest of Ireland and larger than life figure, um, was was a very good cricketer in his day. He was a good footballer as well. Um, you know, played a lot for Ireland in cricket and then obviously was our manager um, for, for a very long time. And, and he was a, you know, he's a confidant to, to, to all the players and, and staff. And he was just an ever present, you know, just a really, really good person, a lovely man, you know, and he was absolutely passionate about everything that we, we did, you know, and he was always there for the big moments as well. He was possibly not the most nervous man of all time as well. He didn't want to be sitting around him if, if it was a close finish, um, especially that England game is a good example, you know. Um, but uh, a super guy and obviously a huge loss. So, you know, it was devastated not, not to be able to, to you know, go to the funeral and actually, you know, see him off as, as a group as well, which is obviously the times we live in at the moment. But I'm sure when, when we get out of this, obviously we'll get get together and, and you know, reminisce about, about, about the good days of Roy because he was a, he was a, he was an incredible man. Yeah, sad news, Ed. Um, did the win over England, um, do you think, attract regular sports fans to cricket that might not have been on its radar before that happened? I, I, I personally think it was probably more you know, the, the previous World Cup, as much as anything, you know, uh, the, the, when the lads beat Pakistan and played so well in that, and it was such a colourful tournament as well as in, in, in the in the West Indies, and there were a lot of lot of Irish fans there, you know, o- over there, travelled out there, and, you know, sort of Ireland were everyone's second team as well, so whether you're supporting Pakistan or India or England, you know, every, everyone's second team was Ireland, so I just think that really showed well on TV and I think it got a lot of people following the game here and and it got sports fans knowing that Ireland had a really good competitive cricket team and and then you know obviously following that up in the next World Cup beating England was massive and then obviously following that up in the next one beating the West Indies and, and Zimbabwe and playing well in all three of them in a row I think that was that was, you know it was probably a com- combination of everything my personal opinion is that 2007 was probably bigger. And Kevin, you had a really good coach at the time, uh, Phil Simmons, uh, former West Indies player. Uh, what did he lend in terms of wisdom in, in giving you the belief that you could beat England and also tactically as well? Yeah, well, I mean, I was probably one of the one of the players that worked with Simo the most. Um, you know, obviously, Joycey and, and Purdy were based um, largely in England in, in, in the county games. So I was working with Simo quite a lot, you know, very much one-to-one stuff in, in our indoor centre in North County, Dublin. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was great to work with him. His, his technical knowledge of batting was fantastic, um, you know, second to none, and his tactical knowledge as well in terms of, you know, overcoming challenges uh, within the game. And, you know, it, the thing with, with Simo uh, that I really um, enjoyed working with him was, you know, he, he liked to play cricket aggressively, but typically being from the West Indies, he liked to, to entertain people when he when he played. Um, and, you know, that's the way I, I've tried to play way up throughout my career. And Simo gave me the freedom to to, to try that and, and to, to do that. And certainly at training sessions, you know, he might have some ideas for me to work on and I might just, you know, 
go back to him saying, oh, listen, I want to try this today. And he'd, he'd give me the, the full backing to try that in, in the nets. Um, so we, we had great trust in our in, in ourselves. And, you know, he trusted me and I trusted him. So, you know, I really enjoyed working with Simo for the eight years he was involved with the team. And, you know, he he brought me a long way in, in terms of my game from 2007 on to 2015. Uh, what's the journey been like over the last decade then for you, Kevin? Uh, we've beaten the West Indies, as Ed said there. You scored a century against Pakistan in our first ever test in Malahide. Uh, you've also uh, you smashed your car window with a, or your car screen with a six uh, into the car park. Is that true? Yeah, that happened last summer playing for Lens of Lightning uh, against the Northwest Warriors. So um, it was that day I remember uh, in particular in, you know, in Pembroke Cricket Club there, I remember hitting the ball into the car park and hearing a smash. And I remember turning around to Stuart Thompson, who was fielding um, a backward point or something. I said, that's kind of close to where I parked. And he was like, ah, no, it, it can't be your car. Um, and uh, lo and behold, you know, the next over, he was then fielding at the boundary at the car park end. And he obviously word traveled that it was a, a Toyota car and I kind of said to him what car was hit and he goes oh I think it was a Toyota a grey Toyota and I he was kind of joking and I said nah, no chance and then obviously at half time in the match you know word spread and I found out it was my car so I was a bit disappointed <laughs> <laughs> not sure it was Tommy asked though so I'm pretty sure it was Tommy hit for six no it wasn't it wasn't that's that um those videos going around aren't the six was off scrap I remember 100% because uh, Tomo 6 went more towards uh, wider long on, but Scraz went straight over long on his head. But um, uh, yeah, but it was, it was, uh, it was off Scraz. The, the test against uh, Pakistan, I went to the, the opening ball the first day, the guys in Malahide there in 2018. And I just love the experience. You're walking around, you can dip in and out of it, you can have a beer, you can have, like, when, obviously when life gets back to normal after COVID, you can go to the marquees, get a bit of food. There's a great atmosphere. It's um, it's relaxed. That is just a taste of what we could have in this country um, with getting the test status. If the International Cricket Council relaxes the rules, for example, about how many World Cup teams we can have. Um, what has the journey been like since England over the last 10 years, Ed? And uh, what can we maybe look towards in the future for getting more people interested in cricket in Ireland? That's a broad question. Um, I, I guess, you know, it couldn't have gone much better, really. I think even when we beat England in 2011, you know, test status was something that really, you know, you have to aspire to be wanting to play test test match cricket, I guess. And, and I think one of the things that Cricket Ireland got right was actually sort of stating that openly was that, you know, we want to be playing at the top table. We want to be full members, you know, as, as a sort of similar to rugby in that there's a membership, you know, it's sort of old school, a bit like that. And to have that, you have to be a test nation or you get test nation and then you become a full member. So, but we openly stated that. And I remember some other countries who were sort of around our level at the time sort of openly scoffed at that, you know, how, how dare you sort of uh, want to do that. But we felt if we didn't go for that, we would, you know, go for the top table. You know, what are we sort of doing? You know, this is the time to strike. We have a good team. We have some good depth. Uh, we feel like we can compete with the top nations. And if we're ever going to, you know, get up there and play test match cricket, now's the time to do it. And I think, you know, it, it all fell into place playing in, in those World Cups. You know, we probably still want to have played a few more matches in between those World Cups and sort of raise the profile a bit. But, you know, there were T20 World Cups in there in between as well, which we did reasonably well out too. And then obviously, that, you know, if personally, obviously, last that test match was my first, my last game in 2018. It was a nice way to finish. 
but it has meant that we have more opportunities now to play games and you know things have definitely moved on and we, and we sort of viewed differently as a cricketing nation now so so that's good as i said before you know the tricky bit now is continuing that on and making sure that our domestic structures and, and the players coming through are actually, actually skillful enough to keep to keep the foot in the gas you know and i think the fact that county cricket sort of closed shop to us now because our players can't necessarily go there and play the volume of cricket that they could before is is going to be really tricky to to get those players up but we do have we've always had very skillful players here we've had guys who are talented enough and and guys and girls who are talented enough to play at the top level it's just getting enough quality cricket into them and i think that's the that's the challenge you know it's a challenge we're going through at the moment i don't think we've answered that uh, answered that yet with the new players coming through but we've seen some good glimpses even in the last couple of trips of, of the young guys sort of stepping up and, and taking over that mantle and and we have obviously one world absolute world-class player in paul sterling you know who who's sort of keeping us going there with, with all due respect to, to, to the other guys, you know? And so, so, you know, there's some good, there's some good shoots coming through in both the women's and the men's game. It's just managing to keep it going really. Yeah. William, I think Paul Sterling last night was awarded with the best uh, cricketer of the decade. Um, he was brilliant to that game against England last year when, when Ireland beat England again in a one day 329 again in Southampton. Uh, what should the blueprint in your view, William, be for, for Irish cricket going forward over the next few years? Getting young kids more involved, maybe like quicker cricket, maybe, I know it's very difficult with soccer, rugby and GA for it to, to penetrate, but to become maybe a second or a third sport for kids could be important. Yeah, and I think it's important for all kids to get a broad taste of every sport. And I think one of the good things about Cricket Ireland has always been their objective over the past decade and since we made the statement of we want to be a test nation is to to make it a mainstream sport in Ireland. Um, uh, I don't know. I know one of your headlines for this program was beating English at their own game, but I think what these World Cups have done and the games we're talking about is actually given cricket an identity within Ireland. So it's, people don't see it as an, an English sport anymore. We're actually identifying we've got an Irish team that has our own identity, and we can push that forward throughout. And I think that that's a that's a massive thing for ourselves and getting that across. We've seen the Cricket Ireland Awards last night. We said Sterling got his award. There's Limerick's getting represented. There's a lot of um, awards and clubs coming through down the west of Ireland, which is brilliant. And that, as long as we can continue spreading that, and Joyce has said there, we've always had talented cricketers within Ireland. Um, we just need volume of games. And to keep that standard up, county cricket is going to be a miss for us, yes. But the more we can increase our the volume within our domestic game and play a higher standard of games more often, um, it's only going to help improve that depth for the young lads coming through because it's harder. When we all started, played our first game for Ireland, um, it was a little bit easier to ease your way in, whereas now you don't have that luxury. You're playing games against top nations um, day in and day out. Uh, so the young lads coming through have to almost be even even more prepared for that than what we were. Um, we had the luxury of county cricket to, to do that and to kind of instill that in us before we got to that level. But um, the young lads coming through our system now, we have to do what we can to, to make sure they're ready for that step up because it's probably slightly higher than what we did. And um, when we stepped in, and, and as you said, the likes of Sturlow's led the way in that the last two years. The performances have been unbelievable and backed up by Valbo, the captain now. Like the two of those have been phenomenal in leading the way. And Kevin, you've got a cricket academy hoping maybe to uh, unearth the next uh, Kevin O'Brien uh, from Irish cricket from a, a boys and girls perspective. Yeah, and uh, it's something I've done in the past. Um, but over the last couple of couple of seasons, obviously with the amount of my own cricket increasing, my coaching commitments has has decreased. But uh, it's something I'm I'm looking to uh, take up again this summer. Um, you know, is to try and 
you know, give back to the game here in Ireland and, you know, try and get as many kids playing and, you know, try and get them interested in cricket and, you know, improving. Um, because as, as the boys mentioned, you know, that's going to be a big challenge now for Cricket Ireland going forward is to try and, you know, make sure that the next generation are, are more prepared than we were when we made our debut. Uh, the health of the women's game at the moment you're coaching the women's team. Um, how has it grown and what are the future opportunities, Ed? Uh, give us maybe a state of the nation of where we are with the women's game. Um, yeah, there's definitely challenges. Uh, we haven't played a game for quite a long period now, so you know that's we've got to change that and we're hopefully changing that in the next few few weeks. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be great to, to actually get some games in because we haven't played since 2019 for obvious reasons. COVID's stopped us having three or four tours you know we're, as i said we're hopefully changing that we have a uh, big world cup qualifiers coming up in june and july and they're not just world cup qualifiers they also will will be qualifiers for what's called the women's championship which is which will give us guaranteed games over the next three and four years which is similar to what the men have now so it's a massive massive tournament not only as i said qualifying for a world cup but qualifying for that league is probably more important you know as i said going forward uh, we have 19 players in in a performance squad at the moment and a huge proportion of those girls are are either in school or in you know very early years in university. So, so it's a very young squad, loads and loads of talent. We have a sort of similar to, to what the lads had a few years ago, and that you know with Kim Garth, who's probably our best cricketer, has, has gone and played in Australia now. And we sort of lost her certainly for the next few years, and you know there's some other girls out there in Australia thinking of staying out there. Um, Emma Richardson, who's who's playing semi-professionally professionally out in New Zealand and, and living out there as well so you know we do lose some players to to sort of you know more established cricketing nations so we've got to try and stop that and the way to stop that is by having a, a team here who's playing um, hopefully getting contracts soon a bit like the men and uh, you know I think we, we definitely have the talent for that but as I said this is a massive massive summer for us if we can get through in those qualifiers and you know, the, the sky's the limit for this group. I really believe that. But if we don't, you know, it's going to be more of a challenge. So, um, as I said, we, we definitely have the talent and it's an exciting group. It's just whether we can actually get through. And, and Ed, I'm sure you completely understand why Owen Morgan decided to play for England. You did it yourself and then he decided to play for England and he was the World Cup winning captain in 2019 for England. Yeah, absolutely. He's a superstar, Owen. You know, he's a good mate of all of ours. He was earmarked at the age of ten, I think, to be to be a brilliant cricketer. You know, I think he could have put your house in and playing for Ireland. I don't know. You obviously it's a trickier one to guess where he's going to end up after that. But when he came over to to Middlesex, I was there at the time, and I remember he played in innings against Somerset in a losing cause, but he just played some absolutely ridiculous shots off uh, off Andy Caddick, who was an England Test bowler at the time, and and he just looked the part straight away. So calm. Um, you know, knows the game inside out and he was ambitious. I think that's the big thing, ambitious bloke. You know, Purdy can probably talk more about him because he's very, very good friends with him, but, you know, just a superstar and to, and to, and to go and become captain of England and then, you know, to plan that World Cup and to be the, they call him the boss a lot of the time over there, you know, during training sessions, I've heard from, from some of the coaches and, and that sort of describes him pretty well. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely a great achievement. Would have been brilliant if he was doing that for Ireland, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, as I said, we, we wouldn't begrudge him that and a great achievement. He was very assured, all right, William, wasn't he, uh, when they won that World Cup against New Zealand? Uh, it went to extra time, as it were, in, in cricket parlance. Yeah, it did. It was, uh, obviously, anyone that watched that final was fantastic. And like, I think Owen deserves a lot of credit for that. And as you said, how he was throughout the whole competition. But the, the years building up to that, um, whenever England made the changes, but from we seen that we saw that the whole way through the age groups so me and kevy would have played with him 
himself with Kevin a lot through the age groups and he was two, three years younger, but always played the years above and like he just showed his class then and even getting that 2011 World Cup, he had a massive impact on the qualifiers and actually getting us there as well. And how he played his cricket then was he was always a couple of years ahead and people were always catching up. And um, so, he, as Joyce, said, he was always destined for big things. And um, it's not something that a lot of people can have in their CV as a, a World Cup winning captain. Um, you guys, you must have had a blast. Like I was going through the scorecards of every big moment in Irish cricket over the last 15 years, including, Ed, when you played against Ireland in 2007. And every single scorecard, it's Kevin O'Brien, William Porterfield, Ed Joyce, be it Pakistan or Ireland, England in 07 or 2011 against England, which we spoke about earlier on, or the West Indies in 2015, or the Pakistan Test, or even uh, England uh, last year in Southampton. Kevin, you must have had a ball. You've travelled, you've got great friendships, you play a sport you love. This has been a brilliant journey for you. Yeah, it's been amazing. And, and something when I started out playing cricket, you know, as a five or six-year-old down in Railway Union, there was absolutely no, thing, no thought in my head of, you know, A, playing for Ireland, uh, you know, B, playing in numerous World Cups and, and see, you know, playing test cricket. So the chances that, that, that I have had through cricket has been, you know, unbelievable. And, um, you know, just very privileged to, you know, being around for the golden generation, I suppose, in inverted commas, and, and to be able to, to to be a part of the memories that we've had and, you know, and and on a few occasions put in some good personal performances to help the team win. Um, yeah, it's been absolutely superb, you know, travel the world, seen places that, no, I didn't even know existed before I, I made my my debut. So um, yeah, just absolutely delighted to to, to do it. And, and fingers crossed, there's a few more World Cups on the horizon if I can stay relatively fit. And hopefully, uh, William, the ICC will relax the rule and allow more teams into the World Cup and and expand and develop the game. It's a tough game, cricket. I played it when I was younger a bit. Um, that ball is flying at maybe a hundred miles an hour at you. You're an opening batsman. I'm sure you've had your fair share of injuries. It's a uh, it's not sometimes a sport that people think it is. No, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty hard ball when you when you wear one, especially as you said, if it's ninety odd miles an hour coming down. So, yeah, it can be tricky. We've had a few scars ourselves, with a few few stitches along the way. But um, as you said, there's it's just exciting to be what Kevy said there. That the biggest thing we, we got to travel the world playing a sport that we love, um, and hopefully we've played a part in setting that up for. For the next generation of Irish cricketers, um, if you want to open the can of open up the can of worms that is the ICC and getting extra teams involved in the game and growing it, you probably need another couple of hours for the show. But uh, yeah, look, if they can do that, it's how we started. That's how we got involved. It's why we're here talking to you now that we got that opportunity. Um, and just more cricketers and more countries need that. And Ed, you're obviously involved in the development of the women's game now. Uh, I'm sure your experiences uh, have been rich and varied. And, and like the lads, you've uh, you've had a blast. Yeah, obviously, cricket, cricket's my been my life. You know, it's my my family's life as well, and and unbelievably privileged and to to travel the world. I remember going to Bermuda for for an under nineteen uh, uh, qualifying tournament for a World Cup as a sort of 17, 18 year old, and get to spend two and a half weeks in Bermuda playing cricket. And that's just an example. I suppose if you if you want if you enjoy traveling and you're not necessarily just playing international cricket, if you're a cricketer and you go to Australia, New Zealand, you can always you know just join a club over there and you're straight in with with uh the camaraderie of a team sport that you know you can just join in so it's it's obviously a great game um and it's as i said one of the big growth areas here in ireland i i believe we should be really pushing is the is the girls and women's cricket because it you know obviously hockey being such a big game here as well i think it, it really dovetails well with cricket and obviously one of them is a summer sport and one of them is a winter sport 
I think it's a great opportunity this summer as well with the, with the COVID year that we've had potentially coming out of, of, of that during the summer. You know, we should really be pushing cricket as, as, as the game for people to take up. OK, well, uh, Joyce, Kevin O'Brien, William Porterfield, we've got to leave it there. Thanks for giving us just a small flavour of that match against England. Ten years ago this Tuesday, that Cricket World Cup win, you've also had wins over Pakistan, West Indies, test status now. The women's game is developing and I really hope it all goes well for you going forward. The very best of luck and thanks for speaking to us on the Saturday panel here on News Talk. Stay safe, lads. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. OK, we'll take a break. We're back after this. The Saturday panel on Off The Ball. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. 